Welcome to Roll Calling, a podcast about actors we love and the movies we love them in. I'm Caroline Sita. And I'm a flibbity gibbet. I'm Ned Baker, and I'm not arguing that with you, Harry. <laughs> I'm not arguing that with you, Harry. I know we could get the job, but can you do the job? I am not arguing that with you, Harry. I was realizing this is our second um, Dan Hedaya because he was also in Shaft, remember? I was trying to remember. I was like, Caroline had an opinion about Dan mm-hmm. Hedaya. What movie was it? But Shaft really slid in and out of my brain. Everything Same. except for everything except for Jeffrey Wright going like, you should have killed me, Shaft, and stabbing <laughs> himself with the ice pick. But the rest of it didn't really make an impression. Yeah, I agree. I kind of forget that we did that one. Um, well, the way this podcast works is that Ned and I take turns curating a five-film five film miniseries starring an actor we love. Sometimes we're covering Jeffrey Wright in the movie Shaft, and sometimes mm-hmm. we're covering Meg Ryan. This is our second Meg Ryan week. Last week, we looked at her breakout debut in 1989's When Harry Met Sally. So this, good. And so good. And then this week, we're, you know what? Sidebar. Sidebar within our intro. I watched some yeah. interviews from around this time. Mm-hmm. Um, for Joe versus the Volcano, the movie we're covering today. There it is. And one of the interviewers was like very, she was interviewing Meg and she was very, she was like, I'm so mad you didn't get an Oscar nomination for When Harry Met Sally. And I was like, hell yeah. I'm so glad this was the narrative Say in that. 1990 that like people were like, Meg, you deserved this. Like you were robbed. Good. I'm, yeah, I'm glad they knew contemporaneously because it's so clear now. You're like, this is an all timer performance. Yeah. Well, this week, we are not looking at When Harry Met Sally. We are looking at the very next film on Meg Ryan's resume, which is 1990's Joe versus the Volcano, a cult film, if there ever was one. Sure. Now, Ned, sometimes you and I, I guess we kind of have been chatting a little bit off topic, but sometimes we do a little more like check-ins or like, you know, whatever, some casual rambling. But this totally. time around, I have just been dying to know what you think about this movie because we haven't talked about it other than... You texting me last night at like 10 p.m., quote, this movie, goofy as hell, <laughs> goofy as hell, <laughs> in all caps. Yes. I believe this was a first viewing experience for you. Definitely so, it was. So I'm just like dying to know, what was that experience like? What What is your current mindset with Joe versus the Volcano? I feel like this movie is kind of a lot to take in the first time you see it. It is a lot to take in. I mean, I've given you the super title there of my thoughts i can i can now elaborate but that's the main thing is that this is a this is a goofy strange just wild movie not really what i expected certainly in terms of tone mm-hmm. um slightly not in terms of plot uh just full of surprises i did i like it i I don't know. I, I'm in a mood where I'm still processing mm-hmm. Joe versus the volcano. I would love for you to sell me on it. <laughs> Maybe that's your take. I would just love to hear because when you said, quite frankly, when you said it's one of the most underrated movies in Meg Ryan's filmography, mm-hmm. I just love an underrated underdog. You know, I come in being like, "Ooh, I can't wait," and. It was it was a weirder pill to swallow than I expected it to be. Yes. Um, and I do have some. No, I think it's this. Quite frankly, I have some complaints, but I I I feel that in the next hour or so, you could convince me that these complaints are actually not problems. Mm. See, and, and and I'll even say to preview my thoughts a little bit. Like I almost mm-hmm. feel like I do like this movie. 
But I almost feel like what's underrated about it is how good Meg Ryan is in it. Do you know what I mean? Like, if there's a thing mm-hmm. that I can unquestionably sell you on, it's that I think this is, like, a genius Meg Ryan performance more than I yes. think this is, like, a totally flawless movie. Sure. These are some genius Meg Ryan performances. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. It's extremely satisfying to see her get to do her Dr. Strangelove thing. Yeah. And play three sort of different comic types all in the same palette of a movie. And, uh... Yeah, it's a great it would be it would be, I think, really inappropriate of us to leave this off of our Meg Ryan series. Mm-hmm. I'm really glad you put it in because it's such a showcase for her. Well, I, I don't think we are getting any of the Well, it's interesting because with When Harry Met Sally, I think one of the things that we were emphasizing is like it is kind of larger than life. It is broad in some ways. It's heightened. It's heightened. But it also does feel like it has a really relatable you know, they just feel like lived-in human characters. And this lives a little bit more, I would say, personally, in pastiche land, in just, like, it kind of feels like, you know, an elaborate pageant or, like, pantomime skit. Uh, But that is also a kind of acting, and Meg swings for the fences and I think hits her, hits her fair share of homers. So there are two in these like interviews and whatever that I was watching, there was yeah. Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan each gave their description of sort of what this movie is, which I think are both very d- good descriptions. Tom Hanks mm-hmm. called it an existential comedy with adventure and romance, mm-hmm. which I think is accurate. And Meg Ryan called it a fairy tale, a fable, a myth about taking risks in your life. And I think that like fairy tale quality is kind of like what you're speaking about in terms of like how this is heightened in a way that's very different than, like, When Harry Met Sally is... Because these are both ostensibly rom-coms, right? Like, you could classify yeah. them as rom-coms. Like, When Harry Met ha- Sally and the next two movies that Meg Ryan makes with Tom Hanks, Sleepless in Seattle, and You've Got Mail, are all, like, very just, like, normal movies. Joe vs. Mm-hmm. the Volcano is not a normal movie. And I feel Anything like you, but. <laughs> you, couldn't over, you couldn't overstate, like, how strange this movie is. I actually feel like... I fear in, in us describing the plot for people that haven't seen it before, they're just, like not going to comprehend the weirdness because the weirdness sort of comes from the tone and the direction and the production design. Yes. The like the weird faces they both make. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say that his description, well, I mean, hey, I mean, his goal, their goal is in these interviews is not to create an accurate document. It's to get Uh people to see the movie, right? I do feel like an existential comedy with adventure and romance is missing some of the key uh, descriptions of like, it is a bananas vibe fest filled with (laughs) like beautiful classic images but filtered through like an extremely offbeat late 80s early 90s sort of like postmodernist sense of humor postmodernism but in a way that also just feels kind of like kids trying on costumes Mm -hmm. yeah i don't know a fairy tale and a fable and a myth that that does feel like, you're starting to get it the way in which, like, no, no, this is, don't expect your traditional Hollywood naturalism. It is nowhere to be found in Joe versus the Volcano. And quite frankly, something we can get into, the romance to me here feels a little bit like, like, it's an element that is just part of the palette they're going for. Mm-hmm. And, like, in the same way you might, like, throw in a sword fight. Sure. And, in in, you know, in the same, like, I'd say this is a movie about a romance 
frankly, like in the same way it's a movie about like being in a shipwreck at sea. Like mm-hmm. that's a that's an element they do, but well, we can get into the romance. I, I guess I can just say right now, that's that's the part of the movie that I think was my sort of complaint, particularly coming off of the heels of When Harry Met Sally, which I think is such a good look at the way relationships develop. By contrast, when she says like, wait a minute, I love you in Joe versus the Volcano near the end, you're kind of like, what? Mm-hmm. Based, based, on, based on what? But it does just feel like they're sort of like hitting the beats and in the sense of like, it, yeah, it just feels like a dress up play in a lot of ways. I did try to to warn you and our audience that like, I do think it is hard to start a mini series with One Harry Met Sally because nothing else <laughs> will compare. Like there is a, it was such You're a joy right. to start with that. And it is also yeah, yeah, yeah. a real risk. I had seen parts of Joe versus the Volcano growing up. I remember... Mm-hmm. watching the ending in particular. I have these cousins that live in North Carolina who, like, I just think are so cool. <laughs> like, I really, especially when I was growing up, like, just they're t- they just had that, like, you know, one of them's younger than me, but that sort of cool, like, older sibling, you know, vibe, like, you really sure. respect. And I remember they really liked this movie. So in my mind, this was always like, ooh, this is a really cool mm-hmm. movie. And, like, I've seen bits of it, and and I liked those bits. I don't think I had ever seen it all the way through until maybe a couple years ago, either I was writing about a John Patrick Shanley movie, he's the guy who wrote and directed this, or I was writing about a Tom Hanks Meg Ryan for my column. So I was mm-hmm. like, I should finally like actually see Joe versus the Volcano all the way through. And I, even knowing, again, having seen parts of it and knowing it was weird, I was like not prepared for how weird the beginning was going to be in a way that's very different than how weird the ending is. Like it is a movie yes. with that takes you through many different spaces and places and tones and types of movies mm-hmm. in a completely unconventional way. Yeah. It feels kind of piecemeal, except that they are all, I would say, sort of equally committed to being weird. Yes. You know, I guess what I mean is like, they don't necessarily feel of a piece, except that it is all a, like one big strange vision. Yes. And, and the vision is very particular to, mm-hmm. as I mentioned, writer-director John Patrick Shanley. This was his directorial debut. I think these days he's maybe best known as the guy who wrote the 2005 play Doubt and then adapted that and directed the 2008 movie with Meryl Streep and Philip Seymour Hoffman and A.B. Adams mm-hmm. and Viola Davis about um, the Catholic Church and a nun who suspects that the, the priest is uh, an abuser, which, like, it puts him in such a particular box right like totally. guy who writes and directs dramatic oscar winning you know character drama about the darkest facets of life yeah that movie is so straightforward and so serious is that what you mostly knew john patrick like is that did you have an association with him that was my introduction to him certainly i remember hearing his name actually when just I remember being in New York at the time. There was a production of Doubt, probably in 05, or like maybe it mm-hmm. was like a you know a touring production of that, like in 06 or 07. But I was like, okay, normal sounding Irishy name. Wrote himself a Catholic ass drama. Mm-hmm. Although maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's Protestant. It's Catholics, right? <laughs> it is Catholic, yeah. Okay. <laughs> to so, continue our um, ongoing theme, I meant to my, look up what religion Tom Hanks was, and I forgot. My education. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so that was my main association. Now I'd say I also I also associate him with uh, Moonstruck, mm-hmm. which is a little bit more along the weird 
yes. spectrum. Definitely a lot more. I mean, there's just there's just weird moments in. I mean, Moonstruck is like people who say weird stuff that real people say, like like uh, bring me the big knife. I won't do it, Ronnie. <laughs> she won't do it. There is a so what's funny to me is that John Patrick Shanley gets so known for this sort of like doubt dramatic realism Mm -hmm. that's like one corner of his career and then the other corner is these like absolutely bonkers sort of rom-coms that are like you said moonstruck from 1987 which wins Mm -hmm. him the oscar for best original screenplay and is sort of like i think what gets him the sort of ability to do joe versus the volcano and then Mm -hmm. the other one this has come up on our podcast before is the Emily Blunt much maligned 2020 movie Wild Mountain Time, which is like a weirdo Irish romance with Jamie Dornan. Which that you I liked? That I liked, yes, because I think that movie got really like, people hated it because like it was quote unquote weird, right? Like it was sort of, people mm-hmm. were just like, oh, this is like weird. It has this weird twist at the end. Like it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And to me, I'm like, yeah, it doesn't make sense as a John Patrick Shanley movie. Like that's what are you <laughs> expecting? The man makes movies that don't, operate in any sort of like logic that it's like all emotion you know so to me i sort of enjoyed wild mountain time sort of in the same way i enjoyed joe versus the volcano where it's like it's not it's not like it's aiming for some sort of like grounded you know storytelling and maybe it's more obvious in joe versus the volcano because the plot is like this ridiculous over the top thing versus in wild mountain time it's more just like these irish people in farmland so it feels like it should be more realistic but you but think I, Wild Mountain Time is suffering from an expectation thing. People are putting it in the wrong box and saying it's weird for that box. Yeah. And really, it's like, no, this is sort of like, a, this is kind of on brand for this this artist and his work. Yes. I think it definitely is. Like, I don't think it's as good as Moonstruck. Like, I think Moonstruck is mm-hmm. kind of a perfect movie that's the share Nicolas Cage movie that you quoted so well that is this that again it's like if you just describe the plot of Moonstruck like it just kind of sounds like a very basic rom-com but when you're watching it it feels so strange and heightened in a way you can't quite put your finger on mm-hmm. and then I think Joe versus the volcano is just like the unhinged like most is John Patrick Shanley it's like you're writing you're directing like your full unfiltered vision turned up to 11 yeah it's that for sure absolutely which just results in this incredibly fascinating, strange experience. And I think probably like the best way for us to get into this is just kind of to chat through the plot a bit, because again, it is, I hate to just keep saying like, it's strange and it's weird because we, I need to find better words and adjectives to describe, you know, what makes this movie so unique, but it's imagistic. It's, uh, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's, um, highly satirical it's i don't know let's Over let's yeah let's we'll find them as we go through let's cut it apart yeah let's go i think that going through plot like piece by piece is going to be really good and really helpful for me as i said still processing yeah uh, this will help me to understand yeah. just what it is that i watched last night does one ever stop processing joe versus the volcano is the I'll question i'll tell you in an hour <laughs> we'll see where we are it starts literally with the sound of like an orchestra tun- tuning tuning orchestra sound oh yeah i don't know if you remember this i did now i remember it yeah yeah, which i like that's a very comforting sound to me as a musical theater lover Mm -hmm. and it literally opens once upon a time there was a guy named joe who had a very lousy job so it sort of puts us in that like fairy tale mode from the start only to smash cut to this 
this opening sequence that I like can't handle every time I watch this movie. It's this like grotesque sort of Brazil like sort yeah. of like idiocracy gross depiction of this factory or this company where Tom Hanks's character Joe Banks works. Mm-hmm. It is a company that that makes surgical tools, home of the rectal probe and <laughs> petroleum right. jelly. And, and like, like replica testicles. And- yeah. And every inch of it is like greasy and grimy and gray and horrible uh, fluorescent lights. And the, the, the thing that I sort of alluded that I quoted in the beginning where he walks into his open office where his boss is like literally repeating like the three same things like ad nauseum for like three excruciating min- minutes as he makes himself the most, as Tom Hanks makes himself the most disgusting looking coffee with non-dairy coffee creamer. It is it's like just revolting. Grotesque. And- it is grotesque beyond what, you know, like, like you might, be, if you haven't seen this movie, you might be picturing something like Office Space or The Office where it's sort of like, oh, it's like a slightly heightened parody of like, no, this is like. It almost feels like a Muppet movie in terms of how heightened the production design is. Yeah. It doesn't feel like human beings exist in this world. Like, it feels like a cave from Labyrinth. Or, like, it just feels like something that is not – that is such a heightened take on what, you know, it's satirizing. I think you were right to mention Terry Gilliam's Brazil. Gilliam definitely does these, like, larger-than-life, distended-to-the-nth-degree satires and and grotesque caricatures – uh, he does office life really well there. I I wrote down it reminded me of the Coen Brothers movie The Hudsucker Proxy, mm, um, mm-hmm. or of kind of like some of the '90s Batman movies and the way that they like rendered cityscapes. Yeah, my other thought was the like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles somehow, like yeah. <laughs> like literally a sewer that's like dripping yeah. with slime or something. Yeah, I think I hadn't really had this. I hadn't really connected these dots until you mentioned the theater orchestra warm-up we have in the beginning but you know a, a lot of a runner through the the shanley works is like this is a guy who has a theater background mm-hmm. you know i mean and not just doubt uh savage and limbo is another one of his plays that i've read and really enjoyed uh he has many more that i'm sure have been performed many times and uh like excerpted in many showcases i feel like danny in the deep blue sea is one that circled around me a lot although i never actually saw it but i think that I think we can commend him for bringing a theatrical sensibility of Mm -hmm. trying to approach truth through something that is highly non-literal. Yeah. uh, That is taking the images and um, painting them in these like very strong brushes. Mm -hmm. Commend or critique because this movie was not super well received. Uh Like I think it is. It is a movie that like it did okay at the box office. I don't think all critics hated it like i think roger ebert was a really early champion of it but this is a movie that kind of just at the time like came and went and was deemed too weird or too off-putting it has since had that sort of cult following but i think that this i mean i really find this opening like i get you know he's satirizing how off-putting sort of like gross corporate work world and work is but like it is so off-putting like i really find like i almost can't watch it i really find Mm -hmm. the beginning of this movie like is so viscerally disgusting to me. Yeah. <laughs> that, like, I don't want to watch it. But there are good... I do think that there are, like, sharp observations in here. Like you said, the boss sort of always having the same conversation 
Or there's at one point where he's like, I've worked here for four and a half years and I've probably actually done five to six months of work while I've been here, (laughs) which I think is so accurate to sort of the realities of what it's like to work a nine to five job where just the absurdity of you're just like sitting there doing nothing because that's Mm -hmm. the system we've sort of made for everybody. There's also a point. Joe at the beginning is very like sickly and he always feels gross. And he's like, I need to go to the doctor. He looks very unwell and and has a horrible mullet. Yes, it's a terrible 80s mullet. And which at the time, I think when you first watch this, you're like, is this just what they thought hair was supposed to look like? Then it becomes clear once he later gets a haircut. Like, oh, no, it was supposed to look bad even for the times. Yeah. But his boss has this great line where Joe's like, I don't feel good. And he said, nobody feels good after childhood. It's a fact of life. (laughs) Which I found to be incredibly accurate as someone who all this week have been like, oh, I have a headache. Or like, oh, I'm too tired to work. Like. It does kind of feel sometimes that you can just get in this, like, sense that everything's supposed to feel good and happy again at some point, and maybe that's an unrealistic expectation. Grim. Very grim. Uh, John Patrick Shanley, apparently when he was 18, actually worked for a company that made medical instruments, including artificial testicles, and he worked there as an advertising librarian, which is the job he gives to Joe in this movie. Like, it is his job to sort of, like catalog old advertisements they've sent out like it's just the most meaningless yeah thing you could be doing Uh, throw what you know he clearly took uh he took his took his experience and uh made it it, disgusting ghoulishly back to life (laughs) so ghoulish and this is when we meet one of our meg ryan's i'll be Mm. curious to hear how you when you realize there would be more than one meg ryan but we meet meg ryan and her first character who's Dee Dee, who is like she really is giving me the vi- like a mousier version of Audrey from Little Shop of Horrors. Total Audrey vibes. Okay, I had the yeah. exact same thought. Absolutely, it's the little accent. She's kind of, yeah, she's got a little Staten Island accent mm-hmm. as well. That that mm-hmm. definitely that emphasizes that. But yes, she's like a like a mousy receptionist with an inhaler, uh, and clearly kind of like when when Joe like has his sort of first explosion at the office which is which is coming down the plot plot coming down the plot pipeline in in a few she's kind of like enthralled by that um dd is a great performance I mm-hmm. love well and this is why i just feel like we had to cover this movie because like meg ryan is not someone you think of as a character actor right like she's the rom-com queen she's someone who you could who i think many people would accuse of just kind of like always playing the same character mm-hmm but I think as soon as you watch this movie, you're like, oh, no, she is also kind of like born to be a character actress. Like, it's so weird. And yeah. and like she's channeling that innate, you know, like cutesy likability she has. But in this like really weird, mousy, insecure, but also like a little wackadoo direction mm-hmm. that is Dee Dee. Yeah. Meg Ryan said that she modeled the character after her dog, who was always like where's the quote she said something about how like the dog was always just grateful for any morsel of affection <laughs> she said that <laughs> that was sort of her idea of who Dee Dee was so interesting why did i have that like association of her as being like a little greyhound because meg ryan's a good actor i guess so she must have been channeling it <laughs> there's also a really cute moment when tom hanks goes out of his doctor's office and hugs this dog on the yeah I, there is I kind really of like enjoyed. a dog theme running through this movie for a little bit yeah um okay so that's meg ryan one the big thing that kicks off the plot is that Joe goes to the doctor, discovers that he all of his symptoms of his illness are are psychosomatic 
somatic. Is that how you say that word? Yeah. That's the word that I know from the Guys and Dolls musical. That's fine. I know it from uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, the musical. Oh, yeah. What a good musical. Um, if we ever do our Steve Martin miniseries, we do Dirty Rotten Scoundrels in the movie, we can do a sidebar on Dirty oh, Rotten yeah, Scoundrels, the musical. I got us there. Definitely. We learned that Joe is a hypochondriac for his actual symptoms, but also coincidentally, he has an incurable brain cloud that gives him six months to live, which is he sort of this- kicking off the crisis and the plot and, and putting everything into action. He has such a great reaction when the doctor says brain cloud. He just does this little Hank's like twitch. Go, huh? Brain cloud? I can't do it justice in the podcast, but it's a very cute little moment that I enjoy. Maybe we should talk about Tom Hanks for a second, too. Uh, since he's the lead of this movie. <laughs> Hanks is great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Have we ever discussed Tom Hanks? I don't think that we have. So America's Sweethearts is a is a term that's just like out there. Mm-hmm. I, I almost kind of know it from the movie America's Sweethearts, mm-hmm. but- Julia Roberts, Catherine Zeta-Jones. Who else is in that movie? Maybe. Is Billy Crystal in that movie too? I was going to say Billy Crystal as well. Is it John Cusack? Look at me. I never covered it. Sure, that sounds... Yeah. Oh, you never covered it? No. Wow. Yeah. Um, Well, we can still... Maybe maybe we'll do one of those people's (laughs) things. Is, is, Is America's Sweethearts, is that a thing that referred to specific people? I think of like Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks kind of associated with this. Totally. I think it's just a phrase that's mm-hmm. that's applied to any sort of like, like, I think you probably people called that to like Doris Day, like actors back in the day. Oh, yeah. Okay, great. Well, in any case, Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan are just so freaking likable. Mm-hmm. The idea of just being like, let's pair them up. They have so much goodwill like oozing out of the screen. Uh, that makes perfect sense. I love Tom Hanks in this movie. I think I like him more in the first act where he's getting to kind of like i don't know do more bits like kind of like Mm -hmm. do more character stuff i i don't mean that he's more likable because he is a little bit joe is a little bit insufferable when he like goes on his tirade but i like watching tom hanks do his goofs and he you know both he and meg ryan i feel are like something we can definitely credit this movie with is like they're they're unleashed you know they are they are let loose onto this movie to like do all of their own charming mannerisms mm-hmm. and yeah how do you feel about hanks yeah i like tom hanks america's dad at this point like maybe once That's america's right. sweetheart now america's dad definitely the, i mean obviously we're just gonna be talking about him a lot like when he comes up a lot in meg ryan's filmography i think that they're i think as we go along, there might be an interesting, like, argument to be made about how they both are, like, starting in this rom-com world and, like, look at where his career was able to go versus, like, mm-hmm. look at where her career was able to go. Yes. But at this point, he's very much still in, like, sitcom comedy mode, which is almost kind of funny to think about now because I just feel like the name Tom Hanks just means, like, esteemed actor, you know? Mm-hmm. But this is, like, he started on that sitcom bosom buddies and by this point he's made like splash and big and turner and hooch and so he's just kind of like goofy comedy guy and it's almost Mm -hmm. kind of funny to sort of revisit this era of his career i feel like like he's just so young and goofy and no one was expecting him to become this incredibly well-respected dramatic actor yeah when he did saving private ryan where people like bosom buddies guy is so serious in saving private ryan one thousand percent i feel like that was sort of this huh. like major turning point he had. Yeah. But he's 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 got his goofs on in this one, for sure. Yeah, for sure. So Joe finds out that he has this incurable brain cloud. Mm-hmm. He decides to quit his job and sort of basically like ask Dee Dee out. And 
yeah, set off on this little strange like date night that they have. This movie is kind of like, it's funny the parts of it that just feel sort of like fantasy, like acting out fantasy. I mean, I know that mm-hmm. it's like supposed to be a nightmare, but like, I don't know if this is too morbid a thing to just <laughs> reveal on a podcast, but the idea of being told I have like a finite amount of time to live and I will be healthy through it mm-hmm. is like kind of a, that's like kind of a fantasy for me. The idea of being like, to be able to just sort of like live your life, be like, my only obligation is to live well for a short period of time. Mm-hmm. That is something that has always just like had an appeal to me. I'm mean, sure if like, if that actually happened, I'd be like, my time is ticking out, but, right, right, right. but it's a, it's, it's kind of like, there's a lot of thrill to that, uh, fantastical scenario, you know, the last holiday idea. Yeah. And, we got the last holiday. And we get a few, we get a few of those little things. I mean, he, he acts out the sort of like, quit your job, mm-hmm. yell at your boss fantasy. Ask out the girl that you were scared to ask out. Exactly. Exactly. There's a John Patrick Shanley quote from an interview I read with him where he said, when you feel like you're going to live forever, you put off forever living. Mm. It's a little poetic turn of phrase, but I do think that that is kind of the point of this movie, right? Is that like it takes, and I guess this is also the point of the last holiday. I hadn't thought to put to pair them, even though they're so very similar, but a box set, you know what? I think actually while I was watching this movie, I kept waiting for the moment where the brain cloud was revealed to be like a Xerox mistake. But I actually think that that's the plot point from the last holiday. (laughs) I think that might be the case. <laughs> that I was waiting for. But that is yeah. kind of the point here, right? Like the fable of this is it takes the thought that you're about to die to make you actually like live for the first time. Mm-hmm. So I don't think yeah. you're wrong to sort of connect that to some sort of like strange, like wish fulfillment almost. Yeah. And he goes out on this little date with Dee Dee, who is just so strange. Like, man. <laughs> Really? I it's such a shame I can't do a better Meg Ryan impression because some of her like little lines and like just little mannerisms are so yeah. they're both endearing and also there's like just something kind of weird and off-putting about Dee Dee as well. Like she is very sweet and likable, but there's a weird like again, I guess it is that like little anxious dog quality to her, right? Like yeah. she she is not fully confident in the world. Yeah. And you know, they have their like they have their lovely little date. Uh, he calls over the mariachi band to perform a, a Spanish language cover of On the Street Where You Live. So good. Um, that would be the like, way to woo me. Yeah, I, I know. It's really the, and he just like sort of sits there and listens to it. I'm like, oh, very charming. But they go back, they go back to his apartment and make out. And like, when he says like, I am dying soon, she like pulls away and goes, it's like, I think, you know, it's clear that the character of Dee Dee is like, she can't go there. She can't go to that mm-hmm. place. She can't confront mortality in that way so you know she says like i've got work tomorrow and uh, mm-hmm. and uh yeah she's so so she's like i don't know i i think it would be interesting to like to sort of like apply the manic pixie dream girl lens to mm-hmm. this movie like how much dream girly stuff do we have and i think you know the first the first two characters are 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 not that they're both sort of like ultimately i think too weird or like too mm-hmm. too uh disordered uh in an interesting interesting way but but Dee is a very fun character to watch for sure yeah and adding into the sort of like magical realism fairy tale aspect of it like meg mm-hmm. ryan in the interview sort of talks about it like 
because we, we you know we eventually get these this trio of women we get a brunette a redhead and a blonde the only three types of <laughs> white women there are the three that's all you need to know women. about them sure. um and she meg ryan talks about these three characters like being three incarnations of the same being like tom hanks keep have keeps having this line about like i feel like i've met you before uh-huh. and then she also talks about about it how like each character has their own little arc but then the three of them together they sort a they sort of like match where joe is at they're mm-hmm. kind of like reflecting part of his journey and then also the three women together are like taking this journey from like infancy to like adulthood so you have the mm. first one dd who's just like mousy and anxious and whatever like and then the like next a, like one a nervous kid kind of yeah and then the next one we meet patricia kind of feels like a teenager and then <laughs> yeah, and then does. or no and angelica uh, angelica one. yeah yeah right. and then the last one patricia is the most like put together mm-hmm. competent actual adult so i thought that was an interesting insight although i also sort of feel like uh they only ever age to like young adulthood sure there is no and i think that's kind of true about about joe as a character as well is that like he comes to this big revelation but i don't know that you would say like this is about a guy like maturing to be a man he kind of feels like a teenager through the whole thing i mean he goes on he goes on this like you know big adventure but he still kind of feels like he's sort of flopping around uncertain well it is almost like the movie saying live your life less like an adult and more like an impulsive teenager yeah that might be the sort of message of the the movie yeah so the other half of the plot kicks off when so joe and Dee Dee are not working out Mm -mm. they have a very funny like make out scene into her panicking and leaving yeah and then the next day he gets this offer from this rich man (laughs) this here's the hook here's yeah the here's the hook and Enter also some of the strangeness of this movie so basically yeah. it's this very rich man who makes superconductors who needs these mineral rights on this tiny made up pacific island made up for the movie pacific island called waponi woo and every hundred years the waponi people need somebody to jump into this volcano as like a human sacrifice but it has to be a willing human sacrifice and so this rich man is like hey Joe, A, you used to be a firefighter. Just going to throw that in there for a little bit of plot and character motivation for you. Mm -hmm. And you're dying anyway. How about I just give you, like, all the money you want to live how you'd like for 20 days, sail to the Pacific. At the end of that, jump into this volcano. You get to end in this interesting – you get to, like, live well and then die in in a heroic way and also sort of, like – you know, control your death, which is impending. Yeah. And then also I get these sort of like mineral rights to this island. Yes. To which to which Joe's just like, all right, I'll do it. Sure. <laughs> he has this incredibly deadpan reaction. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Deadpan in the face of uh, a extremely high key performance by the way Lloyd <laughs> Bridges, which is really enjoyable. And I, I will say I was Slightly disappointed that he doesn't come back for a second appearance in the movie. I kind of feel that way with a, a lot of characters in this movie. Like, I wish there yeah. was a little more weaving everything together at the end. I, I do feel that way as well. I mean, honestly, they could have just brought them all back for, like, a musical number at the end. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe this should be a musical. Is this a musical? I think that they tried to – I think on the Wikipedia page it said they tried to workshop it somewhere. Like, not in New York. Everything is a musical, you know? like. But, okay, the San Diego's Lambs Players Theater presented a musical in two, in 2012. So I guess nothing ever came of it beyond that. But You know, they made Rocky a musical. There are less natural <laughs> adaptation vehicles that have been staged on Broadway with tap dancing people. I mean, you're not wrong, but also Rocky was like, we need to appeal to dads. 
Okay. I don't know if Joe versus the volcano has the same built-in audience that uh, Rocky it musical seems does. to really not. Yeah, you're right about that. But it just it just would fit anyway. But so Lloyd Bridges is uh, insane in this and yeah. great. He's got a, like a scrimshaw pipe and this like cane. I I love I love his scene. Was this sort of plot? development of show like how much did you know anything about the plot of this movie i knew about this frankly okay. I, I knew that it's about a guy who's paid by a millionaire i didn't know if it was like for a bet or something mm-hmm. i knew it was a guy who's paid by a millionaire to jump into a volcano i didn't know why and i knew that meg ryan would be uh playing multiple characters okay and the premise is uh i wrote i, I said i said great premise but always the premise is in service of good goofs mm-hmm. which is i don't know that you know the whole jump into a volcano thing is like i'm not sure about the philosophical significance of it and it certainly doesn't feel naturalistic but it it it's a funny hook you know i guess you just need a big strong image to pull you forward and i I, you know like it, it conjures up this image of average joe literally named joe paid by you know, essentially like Thurston Howell III to yeah. <laughs> voluntarily throw self into Volcano. Uh, yeah. I do like the Lloyd Bridges scene. And then from here on out, this is when the movie stops being as gross as it is. And I like feel relieved. Like I really can't <laughs> overemphasize how anxious the beginning, the beginning grossness makes me feel. Right. And I don't quite know what that says about me. I've read a lot of reviews that were like, oh, the beginning of this movie is the best part. And then it like slowly goes downhill. And I was like, oh, I kind of feel the opposite. But maybe I just don't like goop. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of goop. I mean, the first before any dialogue is spoken, he like literally like steps into like three different kinds of goop. Oh, it's so gross. It's so gross. Thankfully, the grossness kind of stops from here because (laughs) mostly he's just given like a million credit cards to just do whatever he wants he has like one fun one shopping day in new york it's very pretty woman actually which came out uh-huh. the same year where it's just like go to town like go shopping and get a haircut and buy whatever you want and stay in whatever hotel you want and another fantasy thing go out and buy all for the stuff, sure you know yeah which i find language. this all so charming this whole little like shopping montage part of the movie it's really charming and i do think i think a lot of that has to do with ozzy davis who's like kind of the other character who totally it would be have nice it would have been nice to see more of it would have been so um, nice i so wish especially on this watch i was like i wish he had just like gone on the trip with them like i feel like i just yeah. want ozzy davis to be in the rest of this movie he's the limo driver mm-hmm. who joe you know just calls to get a limo because why not he has a million credit cards and joe has no idea how to live a rich life and is kind of asking this guy for advice on where to go and the character's name is marshall and he really probably has like 10 minutes of screen time but he feels so well realized. Yes. He has this whole philosophy of how much he loves clothes and how clothes like define who you are. So what Joe thinks is a very casual question of just like, where should I go shopping? Marshall's like, you are asking me to define yourself and like I cannot have this <laughs> huge moral dilemma in front of me. And it's like so it's so well drawn in terms of yeah. a specific character quirk and their little dynamic together is so sweet as That's they sort of go scene. shopping and and joe buys him a fancy tux to thank him and the, the first scene where he appears i'd seen ozzy davis's name in the credits and i was like very excited about that when he first showed up sitting in the front of the limo i was kind of like oh mm-hmm. i felt a little disappointed to see like oh he's in as the limo driver he's gonna like say a few like 
you know, folksy black wisdom like tropes, but then B essentially like nobody and then exit. So when he like when Tom Hanks is like, where should we go? When he like he literally like he parks the limo and like gets out and like goes and sits in back with him to talk to him, which I think is actually like a really nice intentional swerve of mm-hmm. kind of that expectation that he was just gonna be the like, Yes, sir, where to next kind of a character. And yeah, as as you say, like his very limited screen time is very impactful. And and uh, yeah, it's an interesting character where he's he feels larger than life because he has this like he has this maybe like over simple worldview, his like his his like his just focus on the the clothing thing, but it is it is very it's an it is a down to earth honest performance. And uh yeah, really really endearing. Isn't there a line there's Joe's like, "Oh, you should get a tuxedo like at this fancy place." Mm-hmm. And Marshall's like, "I'm a working man. Like I can't afford that tuxedo." And Joe's like, "Oh, yeah. no, 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 I'll buy it for you." And it's just like the way he's like, "I'm a working man" is so again, like well-drawn and specific for what yeah. could be a very like throwaway character. Yeah. Oh, and then when they get their tuxedos on and Tom Hanks says, uh, I feel like I'm getting married. And Ozzy Davis says, I feel like I'm giving you away. It's just so cute. It's so cute. And then Joe, the sort of paradox is that he has all of this luxury, but he doesn't have anyone to share it with. And so he wants to go out for a fancy dinner. And he's like, Marshall, do you want to have dinner with me? And Marshall's like, no, no, I have to go home to my family. Which, A, I do respect the boundaries. Because I do Mm -hmm. kind of feel like if you are, this is like the succession you know, like mindset, like, I feel like if you're around crazy rich people, you really have to have firm boundaries to not get sucked into these very bizarre, mm-hmm. you know, relationships, like power dynamic relationships. So on the one hand, I respect Marshall for having very clear boundaries in his life. On the other hand, I'm very sad that the character leaves the movie because I think he's such a charming addition. And I totally. wish he was like around for more of the adventure. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it is an interesting thing that he kind of like, he kind of pushes him in that moment to be like, you have to self realize you have to go do this yourself. But then it's kind of like he just, I guess, has a lonely dinner, and like that's when we feel that like he needs a, he needs a companion of some mm-hmm. kind. He's not yeah. fulfilled in some way by this, yeah, life, which does kind of mirror our next Meg Ryan character. Mm-hmm. I think probably my favorite of the three. I think it's it's certainly the most uh, off the chain wild performance. <laughs> it really is. We need to spend a lot of time on Angelica. Um, she is the daughter of the guy that hires him to jump in the volcano. She lives in LA. He flies out to LA and she meets him at the airport. And here's why I think Meg Ryan is a full on like genius actor. I think (laughs) if you read this character on the page, if someone handed me this script and said like, you know, play this character, I would think to play Angelica as a very like ditzy Elle Woods, like heiress type but the way she chooses what, to play her. What is this type that she goes with? It's, she it's, talks like this. She goes, are you Joe Banks? Yeah. And she just talks like this the whole time. It's Come a little on. bit Let's Parker Posey in Josie and the Pussycats level <laughs> sure. performance of like full camp. I think it is a genius interpretation of like, like what I, what my instinct was to like do a bubbly cheerleader type bimbo-y character. It's just like yeah. such a surface obvious idea right this is why i'm not an actor but meg ryan is like i am playing someone who is a ditzy heiress but a ditzy heiress does not want to present herself as a ditzy heiress she wants to present herself as a serious like poet and artist yeah yeah and so she has adopted this bizarre like lower voice and this these bizarre mannerisms 
like the line I quoted at the beginning where she's like, my father says never to tell, like, I can't be trusted. I'm a flippity gibbet. And she does this like bizarre, like rehearsed hand movement. Like she's kind of like whispering behind her hand. It is so freaking weird and genius. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great chapter of the movie. Again, all too brief Um, because we will, to spoil it, our third Meg Ryan character is the most like Meg Ryan doing the Meg Ryan thing, you know, that we, Mm -hmm. that we see many times. I I understand structurally why this character is sort of confined to a short period of time, but she, boy, does she leave a strong impression. It's so good. Joe like lays out, I forget if does he lay out he's dying. I forget exactly. Yeah. I think he does lay out he's dying and she just goes, Oh, I have no response to that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I love when she says, uh, I have a poem. Do you want to hear it? And then it's like a line long, and then you expect her to keep going. She goes, do you want to hear it again? He goes, oh, yeah. And then she says it again. Like, this is truly a performance that belongs in, like, a Christopher Guest movie. Mm -hmm. Like, this is a total Parker Posey, like, bizarro camp performance that I think is almost kind of underappreciated because it's in this, you know, cult movie. And I think it's just not the kind of thing we associate Meg Ryan with. Yeah. But... Uh, John Patrick Shanley said that she came to the audition just with these three characters like ready to go like the, I mean obviously yeah. they're written in the script but the interpretations we're seeing on the screen are sort of like what she came up with Yeah, and he was saying that he auditioned this was a pre-fame or pre-mega fame Julia Roberts because Pretty Woman's the same year but he said that mm-hmm. Julia Roberts came into audition for this part and like he was like you know she was so likable she was so magnetic like she was great but it really felt like when she was doing the three characters like they really did all feel very similar like she did not have that I don't know if, like, being transformative is Julia Roberts' strength as an actor. And I think a lot of people would probably put Meg Ryan in that same camp of, like, she's always playing the same character. But I just feel like clearly she's not, right? Like, she has this incredible character actor ability and, like, ability to think through these weird comedic choices I am that I just think is brilliant. that there are people, not a small number of people, who watch this movie without realizing that that is one actor all the way through. Mm. If you don't follow a celebrity, I think Interesting. it is, I think it is literally, I mean, it's her face there, but I mean, okay, the wigs are great, mm-hmm. if they're wigs. They are, really hate, fun. Yeah, really good wigs. Um, I, I think it's literally, like, yeah, it's, like, you know, I cited Dr. Strangelove. It's transformative. And, you know, most people are going to be in on the joke and get what's going on. But if you're not looking out for that, I really think you could miss. I mean, as as someone like I've, I've been at a play and had somebody be like, oh, I didn't realize that other guy was also you. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take much for people to, like, not connect the dots. And she is the mannerisms and just the tone of voice are, like, so different between these three characters. They really are. It feels, again, like I said Parker Posey, but I could also see this as like a Kristen Wiig type of performance. Mm-hmm. Like there's something about the weird specificity, particularly of Angelica, that reminds me of like a Barb and Star or just like, sure. I don't know, some weirdo choice that Kristen Wiig would make. And it feels like a cousin of like watching an SNL episode mm-hmm. where you see somebody dip into these different characters. But it is also like, to be said, like they all have, even though only one of them is like, even though one of them is clearly much more, I don't know, quote unquote, normal, close to center, like, and like a character we follow through most of the movie, um, they all do have souls, even the like highly, mm-hmm. highly extra Angelica. They have these genuine seeds of melancholy, which I think is, you know, to 
to the credit of all the people involved, including Shanley, like he wanted to go goofy, but as much as I am kind of joking about it being all goofs, like clearly he had something emotionally that he wanted to explore as well. As you've kind of cited this, like, what do we do with our like precious few moments on earth? Mm -hmm. Um, And they're all kind of like wrestling with that. And Angelica is a fun little look at that because she so clearly is like trying to find her way, find her role in life. Um, Yeah. She also feels like an L.A. caricature. Mm-hmm. Specifically. They all do feel like, you know, like Patricia is this or um, like Dee Dee is this uh, sort of like corporate ash heap New York caricature and L.A. And I'm struggling with the sentence. I know. Angelica is this Los Angeles culture art. And then and then the next character we meet is like, I don't know, international waters, the open sea, the call mm-hmm. of the horizon. And I think there is something to the sort of mirroring that's happening where, you know, DD is very much mirroring the situation that Joe's in as this corporate drone. Mm-hmm. And then, and I really feel like they should have switched the names of Angelica and Patricia. They're, I think we're messing up the names because maybe a flaw of this movie is they should have been named differently. <laughs> yeah, it's not our fault. It's fucking Shanley's fault. Totally John Patrick You got Shanley's the names fault. wrong, bro. I think, uh, I just feel like that, like, this character should be named Patricia. Like, that just makes sense <laughs> to me. Um, Angelica, who is the one that speaks like that, like, she is sort of mirroring this, like, Joe going to buy all this stuff. You know what I mean? Like, thinking that mm-hmm. buying things will fulfill him, but all he's really ended up with is this lonely dinner. Yeah. And then Patricia, the final girl, is the most... Like, what he should actually be as he self-actualizes. But mm-hmm. I think the movie's smart to be like, he could be happy with Dee Dee. He could be happy with Angelica. It's not like he mm-hmm. needs to move past them because they're bad. It's more just like they are sort of limited and he needs to sort of take the next step of self-actualization. Yeah. And that's mirrored in the plot in the way that, you know, it's a, it is a travel movie. It's an adventure movie. It's about traveling from New York mm-hmm. to Los Angeles to this island. And he... He does physically move beyond them. And the person he ends up with is the one who kind of sails with him. Mm-hmm. But when he kisses Angelica goodbye on the cheek, it like it's kind of bittersweet. Yeah. You're like, oh, I'm sad to see her leaving the movie. It felt like they had kind of had a breakthrough together mm-hmm. of yeah. some kind. Yeah. She like is. That. It's interesting that they make the choice to make Angelica and Patricia their half sisters that happen to look identical. But there's no like justification for why Dee Dee also looks. <laughs> Just a coincidence exactly like them um but we do get him sort of saying goodbye to angelica in la and heading off on the boat with patricia who as meg ryan put it in an interview is the captain of her own ship it's a great metaphor really (laughs) um she had previously described angelica as sort of like a teenage nightmare so that was her take on these characters dog anxious dog (laughs) starved for affection teenage nightmare and then captain of her own ship and, yeah, it is almost shocking to see Patricia as just, like, normal Meg Ryan, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, when she comes on and she's speaking, not exactly like when Harry met Sally, but certainly closer to that. You're almost like, oh, I was, like, I forgot that this is how the mode that you're normally operating in. Mm-hmm. So I have to say that I think she, in this character, despite this character getting more screen time than the other two characters, she has the least specific personality that i feel Mm. i can dig into and that she and you know material for her to to dig into i don't know that i have a as clear a sense of her personality because it it just feels a little more perfunctory 
at that point. A little more like, well, there's a beautiful ship captain who goes out with him. I feel like, frankly, it rides a lot on the chemistry Mm -hmm. of the actors. I think it really hinges, honestly, on this one moment, like in the middle of their in the middle of their journey at night on boat where he kind of leans in. He kind of does this lean down to her, mm-hmm, like down mm-hmm. a floor, and she like exactly slides toward him. Like she's yeah. going to kiss him. Yes, that moment like carries it's so, so well much weight in investing me in this relationship. Although, frankly, I think like it is, it is a little bit thin on the page. I don't know if you feel that way. I... I do know what you're saying. I think it is jarring to go from two super heightened characters to just normal. Like, it does Mm -hmm. feel like the third one should also be heightened in some way. That said, I think that, like, this is Meg Ryan sort of in, like, particularly, like, maybe Sleepless in Seattle mode. It'll be interesting to compare that directly with this. But this sort of, like, wistful, guileless, competent, but romantic character that I think she plays really well. So in that sense, I'm, like, enjoying the performance. And I think I go along with the fairy tale aspects even though it is like a more normal person but i do find it kind of jarring just to go to like normal likable yeah. meg ryan after having the fun of the first two performances yeah but she has this really nice monologue where they're on the boat they're like sailing to waponi woo and he's like why were you so rude to me when we first met and she apologizes and then later she comes to his little like tiny bedroom and like tries to explain more and she's like you know we're gonna be on this boat for a while so i want us to get along and she says that she's soul sick Mm, and she's like and you're gonna see that 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 in me so i just like want to tell you up front that like i have because she has this whole thing about how she has discovered so she has tried to like she tried to cut off ties with her sort of rich emotionally complicated father and sort of strike out on her own but she's always really wanted to own this boat that he has and he said hey if you um sail this guy to the pacific for me you can have the boat yeah and so she's made that choice but she says that like she's now realized she has like a price like she can be bought for something and she had this really high like moral code that she wasn't going to work with her dad anymore and she's like ashamed of herself for getting sucked back in so she that's like her soul sickness and she wants to tell joe like she just wants to explain it to him and this again this is i think like more of the moonstruck type of John Patrick Shanley where it's mm. it's like what the characters are saying makes complete emotional sense but I would not expect anyone in real life to just say like I'm soul sick and I need to tell you about it like there's something mm-hmm. about the language that feels heightened in this interesting way and like honest in a way that people are not normally but also feel sort of aspirational like I kind of yeah. wish that I was just like hanging out with people and could be or was more likely to be like oh I'm feeling soul sick today so like just FYI that's the mood that I'm in yeah yeah, I do like all those lines you cited. I just uh, something about it hasn't hasn't fully gelled for me. I mean, we could see what a what a future viewing because you know the first viewing, you know, as we're going through all these things, I'm also curious at this point about how the plot is about to uh, progress, which it does continue to be full of some real twists and turns. <laughs> real twists and turns. I think maybe. Like, again, I said this up top, like, I do not think that this is a flawless movie. I do not, I I don't think that structurally it all totally works. Like, we get into this weird segment now where they're sailing to the island, but all of a sudden there's a giant typhoon. Patricia falls overboard. Joe jumps in to save her. Wait, and wait, we can't, the- we can't skip the shark montage. Oh, the yeah, fishing the shark montage. <laughs> which might have been the moment when I texted you, this movie goofy as hell. <laughs> And Yo, that was actually, that song that they're there's good music in this. They have a lot is. of like fun. It's like doo-wop. Yeah, I'm trying yeah. to remember. There's there's a very fun 
there's a lot they just play a you know a sort of a 50s 60s pop song straight through through a scene where like i think i texted you before the shark actually came out of the water uh-huh. but but it's like they're both fishing off the back of the boat there's their crew there's this character dagmar played by the always crazy amanda Plummer. Who is a another character. character you think will just be in it more? Yes. What the hell? I yeah. I really wanted more Dagmar, but they're fishing, and Meg Ryan sort of catches like three like increasingly outlandish fish in the row, like finishing the sort of crazy lionfish, and then Tom Hanks keeps looking at Dagmar, doing like ah, I don't ca- I haven't caught anything. It's all like nonverbal, and then like he gets a pull and everybody comes over and they're all like, like pulling at his pull and Amanda Plummer's like shaking this big harpoon. And I was like, this movie's goofy as hell. And then he pulls out this like gigantic hammerhead shark <laughs> puppet. It looks like a Muppet. Yes. It looks like a Muppet. The eyes are like woggling back and forth. There's like nothing else like this in the movie. He's just like screaming. Everybody's screaming. They run away. It, it's, it's just like, that is a moment where it's like, just, it's just pr- pure goofs. Just all goofs all the way yeah. down. The song is Good Lovin' by the Young Rascals. I looked it up. Yeah, definitely a goofy scene that leads into a this like shipwreck that is also goofy, right? Like it's dramatic. Yeah. They have this big like kiss on the on the boat as the boat mm-hmm. as this like crazy storm's happening. And then the she immediately gets swimming. knocked in yeah. to the water like it's a Looney Tunes cartoon. Mm-hmm. And then lightning comes, like, she and Joe are off the boat in the water, and then lightning, like, strikes the boat, and the entire boat sinks. <laughs> yes. Yes. And then they're alone, and he has, I think that this is good, I think this is good setup payoff of when he did the sort of, like, shopping montage, he bought these, like, super fancy four luggage trunks, and this sort of all a, these little bits and bobs. A great then, focus scene with this crazy salesman who, like, tells him about the so perfect, funny. perfect steamer trunk, and I was like, damn, I want a steamer trunk. And I took that note before I knew that it was going to become a real runner in the movie. A real runner. And I, re- I really like that luggage scene, too. Like, just the, yeah, again, there's that, like, John Patrick Shanley way that people talk where he's like, I will be traveling by air and then by sea or something. And the luggage guy is just like, oh, of course. Then in that case, I recommend. Yeah, the guy's like, I've made it my mission to understand good luggage. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, the luggage is very good because essentially he takes the four trunks, ties them together. And then the movie just briefly becomes castaway for like kind of a not insignificant chunk of it. It's just Tom Hanks on a raft in the water. While Meg Ryan, while Patricia is just like in a fairy tale, like Snow White way, just kind of like passed out. Yes. But remaining perfect and like that's right, fully hydrated, and he's kind of like <laughs> wasting away, and also just spending his time with all these like random activities he had brought on the vacation, including mm-hmm. like a little golf setup he has. Oh yeah, that that this is like these little moments, you know, particularly in like when things are always like done in post and CGI, just like. The setup of him practicing his, like, putting on a little putting green on the floating luggage that then, like, literally blows away. That's just a great, great image. That's just the kind of shit that I want to put on screen. I love that. And when he's dancing, he, like, turns the radio on and it's, again, like, another Mm -hmm. doo-wop song or something like that. And he's just dancing. It's so freaking charming. Like, what a great Mm -hmm. little dance moment for Tom Hanks. Totally. He's playing the ukulele. Yeah, he's playing the ukulele. (laughs) 
It is just such a, see, maybe it's just because this is the part of the movie I saw first. Like, this is to me where I'm like, everything's clicking now. Like, we're on the raft. This is the Joe versus Volcano that I know. Mm -hmm. Where I was there, I was like, I'm not sure where this is going. I wonder if he even makes it to the volcano. I guess I should have known he has to make it to the volcano. But still, it is a weird, like, especially when the storm happens, you're just kind of like, what? Like, what? (laughs) Yeah, and are. even plot wise like there is not they do end up on the island they were intended to go to so it is just kind of like another activity that happened mm-hmm. in the middle which is I would say the big like emotional thing that happens here which I actually found quite moving is like the giant this like giant moon rises up mm. like giant which is also funny that John Patrick Hanley had like just on Moonstruck like he was really in a moon well yeah it's funny that like mindset it's like Cher on the cover of Moonstruck is standing in front of a giant moon but that's mm-hmm. just the poster they never like fully do that in the movie he must have been like I want to I'm really on this moon thing <laughs> I don't just I, I don't just want it to give me the, the moon and make it four times. I want big. it to be fucking big. So yeah, it's a great it's a great image. It's a great image and a really sweet scene. Yeah, I found it very like this is Tom. This is Tom Hanks in full castaway mode, like dehydrated, dying, mm-hmm. and but he sees this moon and he's like, "God, thank you for my life." Like I forgot how big. Thank you. It's like I actually found that very moving. Yeah. Well, that's the thing I can I can really. You know, like no all all cynicism aside, like that that moment of like looking at the moon and being like, "Wow, I have so much to be grateful for." Like I totally, totally connect with that. So wait, there was another John Patrick Shanley quote I had where he was just like talking about how much he loved the moon. You got you got all the pull quotes today. I'm I really did, and it was, I don't know. I was just thinking about he was like and the specificity, like the craters and the the halo around it. So. He was pulling from something very specific here. I find it moving. I also then like the undercutting where Joe like essentially just passes out from dehydration and then Patricia's perfectly awake and she's just like, Joe, didn't you save any water for yourself? And it's kind of been like, oh, was he dehydrated and going crazy? Just the logic of like she laid there for days just looking perfect. (laughs) I like that he makes her a little like lean to out of like an umbrella and some some, fabric. It's very cute. But There's yeah. also a shot of her on the trunk and him in the water that I swear to God is the exact composition they use in Titanic. Mm. Like, did James Cameron watch this? And he was like, that's how men and women need to be in the water together. <laughs> I want to do that, but not funny. Yeah. Just sad. <laughs> He'll freeze. Yeah. Then we're really heading into the final climax of this movie. Also, I would say the most questionable. <laughs> questionable is, is, is right. Questionable is fair. Part you mean, you movie... talk about the Waponi. Yes, the Waponi, which are, in some ways, I'm impressed that this movie made any attempt to say we are depicting a purposefully fictionalized, you know, Polynesian island group. The sort of like setup of the history is that this island was minimally popular, populated by indigenous Polynesian people, but this ancient Roman ship crashed there. And so it's like Jews and yeah, Tel- Celtic people and Latin people. And it's sort of Jews. Yeah. That felt kind of Mel Brooksy. That was the most affectionate yes. way I could, I could, I could look at it. It's a little, as they pulled up to the Island, I was a little like, uh Oh, uh Oh, yes. we're definitely heading into classic, like exoticist, like, you know, loincloth clad natives with no real, like, agency or intelligence serving as a plot device for some white person's adventure they do they they are clearly going for something goofier and i think it is partial i mean they're like yeah they sing kava nagila when they which is very i do think that's very funny they pull up on they like are rescuing them from the island it's funny to me because obviously like 
Hava Nagila. I mean, I don't know the entire history of that song, but I don't think that was a song people sung like in Roman times. Roman you know what I mean? The idea that like, oh, they're Jewish on this island where they've had no interaction with other people, but of course they know the Hava Nagila, and that's yeah. like I, 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 goofy. Goofy is, I think, the best way, the 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 most charitable way you can watch it is just enjoying the sort of like joke of like it's a bunch of old druids and Jews who crash landed, so now they're like druid Jewish Polynesian natives. Mm-hmm. Who it's, love orange soda. It's still questionable. questionable. Definitely, definitely questionable. Definitely, uh, we can we can seek to do better. Uh, yes, in the future. But um, yeah, one but, of the yeah. leaders is Nathan Lane. Briefly, that's right. Yeah, like completely buried in makeup, but with a voice that you can never mistake. <laughs> you can't miss. You can't miss a Nathan yeah. Lane. Yeah, you got Abe yeah. Vigoda, uh, who uh-huh. I love uh, from The Godfather and other and uh, Good Burger. You know, he's in here. Yes, yes. Yeah, definitely getting into some strange, I don't know, Polynesian quirkiness that probably was not the right move here. Yeah. Again, I'm like sort of impressed they made any attempt to not just be like, here's a goofy Polynesian tribe with no, (laughs) nothing else added to The Indiana Jones movies, let us not forget, were made at this exact same time. And they just basically played it straight. They're like, yeah, he's in a he's in a market full of like rabbling Arabs. Now he's on an island full of like mm-hmm. blow dart wielding natives, you know, and there was no they had no inclination that that was something that should be minimized or apologized for. So but uh, but yeah, certainly it's but we don't it's, need to. Yeah, it's I don't want to overpraise it. No, I, it's not. interesting to that's me not. that they did had anything going on there Mm -hmm. but this kind of really just gets us into the end like again the pacing is kind of strange they just kind of get to the island they have like a day where they kind of have a feast Mm -hmm. and then it's just like volcano jumping up to the volcano let's go (laughs) tick tock he shows up and she's wearing like a beautiful off the shoulder white dress it looks very king kong is that a i I haven't seen like very king kong i think think it must be at least i think you're right it also looks a little bit like um what's her name from the flintstones Wilma or Betty? Yeah, Wilma. Wilma. With her little white off the shoulder. Mm, Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're talking about? Yes, absolutely. It looks like that a little bit. And then Tom Hanks decides to wear his little um, tuxedo, which I do think he looks very handsome in. Mm -hmm. And I think like as as in my note here, I said this was movie based on vibe. Shanley has a vision of them in their like tuxedo and white dress standing over the flames of the volcano. And he said, fuck it. I'm going to make a movie that gets me to that. Yes, 100%. There is a lot of just like jumping tonally, logically, structurally <laughs> to sort of get us to an end point. And I also suspect in a way that I am not f- like mid 20th century film literate enough to discuss, probably a lot of like specific movie pastiche. Just, mm. you know, the, it, it just feels to me, I'm like, this feels like this is a, like, in some ways kind of like a tribute to these like, exotic adventure movies of like the early the first half of the 20th century but i because he even has books right like i forget what he's pulling out but like one of them is romeo and juliet but it might be like you know around the world in 80 days or whatever things like that i think you're totally right that it is a almost like a parody i mean of like a king kong like it doesn't have the giant ape aspect to it but it is sort of like oh we're wandering onto this like strange island and we're and we're dealing with all of that stuff. Totally. Um, but they don't, it's interesting how little time they spend on it. Like I could see a movie that was sort of like a whole third act would be sort of about here and getting to know the tribe and like tying that in. But the movie's just like, we got to get done soon. We're I, just going to take you right to the end. I totally thought it was going to be, the movie was going to take place on a tropical island. 
And mm-hmm. that was a mistake. That is not the case. Yeah. That's only for about 10, 15 minutes, including yeah. a pretty a pretty rapid deus ex machina involved climax. Yeah. That, uh, yeah, it's like they just got to the island. And then it's like, as you say, it's then volcano jumping time. So he's going to jump in the volcano. Uh, she is like, wait, wait. She chases him up the mountain being like, wait, excuse me, excuse me, wait. I love you. She says, it's not because I'm lonely and it's yeah. not because it's <laughs> New Year's Eve. Basically. Uh, yeah, basically. That, that, I hadn't thought about that little parallel. She used to chase him down. Um, yeah, but she's she like, I love the... you. And he's like, I love you, but the timing is bad. See, this stuff, you were saying that this doesn't quite work for you. And I get that on a sort of like... If we're doing, if we're comparing it to When Harry Met Sally, which is so character based and like detailed and human, mm-hmm. like this is fairy tale screwball comedy, and totally. I think this was a problem people had with Wild Mountain Time as well, where it's like these people are not acting normal or like I do not believe they're in love. Mm-hmm. But to me, that's sort of like the fun of it mm-hmm. is that it's just this like Midsummer Night's Dream like kookiness where all of a sudden she's like i'm in love with you and he's like well i'm in love with you too but i've got to jump into a volcano now (laughs) i think they have a very cute there's a there's a very sweet like screwball comedy dynamic between hanks and ryan here that i don't think maybe a little bit and you've got mail they get into this again but i feel like this is the closest they come to like pure screwball where it's like i'm loving that i yell i'm yelling that i love you and i'm yelling that i love you and but we're fighting and we love each other and i i kind of find it fun Again, not on a logic level, but kind of like on this weird bananas emotional level. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I I feel a little bit like it is, there's some emotional lacking. And I I have an emotional problem with the uh, next moment, with the moment after. So specifically, so she goes, they have this moment. I do agree that it's very, it's very charming there. He says, um, they say, well, let's get married, marry, we'll get married and then we'll jump in the volcano together. And they're both kind of like, okay, okay. First, first she's like, she's like, will you marry me? He's like, no. And she's like, what are you afraid of commitment? It's gonna be fifteen seconds, and then you're jumping <laughs> into a volcano. And he's like, oh, okay. And then the, yeah. the chief comes up and says, do you want to marry her? Do you want to marry him? You're married. Good, a pagoda. Nobody does that better than he does it. Uh, and they are like, he said, what are we hoping for here? A miracle. And they stand on the edge, and you're like, what's gonna be the plot contrivance? And then they just jump in, and you're like. I guess they die. And then <laughs> in a really, in what well, I would say, like CGI so bad that I, at this point, find it very charming that sure. very, like 1990 CGI, they like, they jump in and then they get blown back out. And then there's an extremely Looney Tunesy image. Very Looney Tunesy. They're like, they're like smoke trail across the sky. And then they land. Yes, it's like a blast, some sort of like blast of hot air, like immediately sends them back out of the volcano. Yes, yes. all the way into the water and again. They, they go tumbling into the water together. Very cute. I am irritated by how little thought is given to the fact that then the island with all the people on it just like sinks into the ocean and they all die. Yes, John Patrick Shanley in this interview I read said that his his. His thought was that they all get on those boats, which I think we do very oh. briefly see a shot. And it's more like they have to migrate and like. Oh, I see. I don't know. Oh, it almost good. seems like the movie is trying to do this runner of like, even the chief is like, we kind of have this old tradition that we need to jump into a volcano, but nobody wants to do it. So like, maybe we shouldn't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Yes. Maybe we should do something new. So I, I think maybe in John Patrick Shanley's mind, there's an element of like, oh, well, now they're forced to like go do something new. But mm-hmm. this is again, 
that is coming from like literally two seconds of screen time. <laughs> so the idea that that is a like theme or a thread of this movie, it would be generous at best. Yeah. Uh, but so we, we don't give too much consideration to them. They watch the volcano sinking in, which again is a thing where the, 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 the primary effect there seems to be one of image of like looking at the flashing volcano sinking into the sea. And they're there as Tom Hanks says, uh, you know, a million miles from no place. And then the luggage returns, which, you know, is an earned deus ex machina, if there is such mm-hmm. a thing, you know. And mm-hmm. they just set it up again, and then it's uh, it's just vibes and charm from there. Just vibes mm-hmm. and charm. See, I think that this stuff definitely works better for me than it does for you. I think, I think a side effect of me having been raised on Star Trek The Next Generation is just, like, I, I learned very early on to just, like, Anything that's a very obvious, like, metaphor, <laughs> I just love. Sure. Like, there's something about my brain that's just, like, I want these metaphors and the metaphor of, like, we just met, but we need to get married and, like, jump into a volcano together. That's, like, very, it feels very resonant to me on a metaphorical level. Like, oh, this is what marriage is. It's, like, jumping into a volcano together. Mm. To tie it back to sci-fi, there's a part in Doctor Who where this guy has to, where Rory Williams has to, like, jump off this building to sort of reset something, but maybe he'll die, but probably he won't. And then his wife amy pond is like gonna do it too he's like you can't do it and she's like i'm gonna jump that's what marriage is like it's a very similar to this moment Mm -hmm. but more earned because we've been following these characters longer but i just love that like i love these things that are like yes this is a metaphor right like the volcano is not literal the jumping into the volcano is not literal the getting back into the water is not literal it's just this like metaphorical take on these two people like literally leaping in together and being like we'll figure it out as we go along I can get very excited So I think that's working for me more. I think that's probably going to be something I will be able to engage with more on on a second viewing where I don't so much make the mistake of like trying to figure out what the plot of the movie is going to be. You know, because if I, you know, from a plot perspective, it's a little like, what? But uh, maybe that's a mistake with Shanley, you know? Maybe you really shouldn't be looking at the plots. I do think the fact that the movie has built up this volcano moment the whole time and then it passes so quickly is probably mm-hmm. a bit of a mistake. Mm-hmm. I do really like the last scene where they're in the the water and like you said, the, the luggage pops back up again so they can get back on the raft. And there's just like, I really like, I really like the, the way Meg Ryan plays Patricia from the sort of like love confession on where mm-hmm. she's just more like exuberant mm-hmm. and... I don't know. She's just like, isn't this romantic? Like, who gets a honeymoon like this? Like, we're yeah. on a boat in the in the Pacific. And my favorite line reading in the whole movie is, I don't know. He's like, you know, she's like, this is great. Like, whatever happens, happens. And he's like, I don't know. Like, we're in the middle of the water. Like, there's literally no land. We have no food or anything. And she goes... I will not be able to do it well, but she's like, it's always going to be something with you, Joe, isn't it? But she doesn't say it like sarcastically. She says it like that is the sweetest thing she's ever heard about him. Do you know what I mean? She's like, oh, how charming. Like that you think that this would possibly be a problem that we're marooned in the water with no supplies. Like who are you to like make a mountain out of a molehill? I just think it's so sweet. I think in that last moment, the chemistry and the charm they have is serving the overall message Mm -hmm. in just like, don't spend your life worried about how you're going to make it back to land. Just like enjoy the great good fortune of being like with who you're with in the place mm-hmm. you're with, which again is something I am so on board with. And the image of being like, in order to do that, it's these two beautiful, adorable, charming people in their lovely 
dress wear floating on this exquisite steamer <laughs> trunk raft in the middle of the water in front of this big gorgeous moon yeah that's that all works for me for sure yeah plot wise they figure out that the he never had a, a brain cloud at all it was in fact was all a setup for her her rich dad who was like i need oh here's a hypochondriac firefighter like talk about a guy we can probably convince is going to die and then we'll uh, jump into a volcano for yeah. us um there's a little funny things where where he's like, I have a brain cloud. And she's like, a brain cloud? He goes, hmm, maybe I should get a second opinion. She goes, you didn't, you didn't get, get a, a second, second opinion, opinion about something called a brain cloud? <laughs> yeah, it's cute. That's very cute. I, the word I kept thinking of for Meg Ryan, really in both of these movies, is guileless. Mm. Which, like, I feel like the definition of guileless should just be <laughs> a clip of Meg Ryan acting. Like, that's the best way to describe the word. Like, this, I don't know, there's just, like, pure, like... Just there's like no cynicism, yeah. you know, especially in this, these last scenes. And I feel like that's so hard to do. Just be totally open hearted, but not innocent in like a cloying way. Just yeah. it's just existing and marveling and upbeat because she just married this guy that didn't die in a volcano. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty rare. That's a rare mode for things to live in, you know. And what a strange like acting challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's Joe versus the volcano. It ends with them on the water. We have no idea where they're going next, but the title on the screen tells us, and they lived happily ever after. And frankly, <laughs> and after a movie like that, you're like, okay, cool. sure, <laughs> I buy it. <laughs> so yeah, very weird. Yeah, movie. Yeah, I don't even know if we've captured in this conversation how strange it is tonally. I think I find it more charming and successful than not. Like mm-hmm. I don't. I don't think I would list this as one of my personal, like, all-time favorite movies or all-time favorite romances or anything. But but I do think the moments that work in it work really well and sure. that I find incredibly charming. I just, the problem is I never want to watch that opening act, so it's not one I want to, I can only watch this when it's on TV and I can come in later when they're having fun in the water. You told me a story from this Christmas where you were like, mm-hmm. we didn't have enough time to watch White <laughs> yeah. Christmas. So we pulled it up on streaming and fast forwarded to halfway through to pretend we had just caught it on TV. Mm-hmm. And Caroline, that struck with me so much. I was like, <laughs> w- I've lost that with streaming. With streaming, with the amazing availability of films, something that we didn't grow up with, I've lost what it is to just be like, oh, yeah, the last third of Die Hard. Cool. Mm-hmm. So maybe I need to give myself that gift more often. And you need to be like, Okay, I want to watch the second half of Joe versus the Volcano. I want to pretend I was flipping through the channels and I just mm-hmm. came up right as he was sitting in the limo with Ozzy Davis. And I thought, oh, I like this movie. I'll watch it from I'll watch there. it from there. Yeah. I do think that's a nice way to watch movies. I mean, that's the way I've seen a lot of movies growing up, certainly. It was just like you caught part of it on TV and then a couple months later you sure. caught the part that you hadn't seen before. Sure, and you're like, oh, that's what happened at the beginning of this movie. Probably the majority of how we watch movies was just, oh, I saw mm-hmm. a part of it. Yeah. Yeah, and you'd have those movies where you're like, I've never seen the beginning. I have no idea how he gets to, you know, so-and-so. 100%. And this movie is very episodic in a way that I think would actually lend itself well to watching it in chunks without feeling like you missed anything. So that's it. Do you think this is the weirdest movie we've covered on the podcast yet? I guess The Green Knight was weird, but in an entirely different direction. And honestly, like, not totally dissimilar. I was about to say The Green Knight is no Joe versus the volcano. But now I say that, I'm like, uh. Is it? (laughs) 
even with the like Alicia Vikander playing multiple roles. Yes, you've got you've got this guy seeing the same dreamy woman in multiple places. He's like going off to die. Very episodic. He's going. Yes, he's going off. Is it literally the same movie? Wow. Whoa, Caroline, (laughs) that's a box set. Okay, I'm pitching this article. If you're an editor listening, let me know if you want the article. The Green Knight. The hot take. The Green Knight is just Joe versus the volcano. Yeah. Damn. I think that's a good. I think with that we should we should call it a day. I think we've said okay, yeah. we've done it. I mean, we will again. We will have no shortage of Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks together to discuss in this miniseries, including in our next installment. We are going to go again, as I keep saying. We're we're taking a very limited view of Meg Ryan's career. I'm hoping at the end we can kind of do a big wrap up of like what came after her '90s heyday because I don't want to totally ignore the like less famous parts of her career, yeah. but. For now, we are sticking very close by, which is the next movie in the trilogy that she made with Tom Hanks, one that is a little bit more widely beloved than Joe versus the Volcano, which is 1993's Sleepless in Seattle. Is this one you've seen before, Ned, or will this also be a first First time viewing? viewing? Never seen it. Oh, boy. All I've seen is, uh, that's a chick movie. Yes. Just that clip. You know, I think Sleepless in Seattle actually is the epitome of a movie that I just like watched on TV all the time, like would come in at different parts of it. Yeah. I'm excited. I think it is a little bit, it is a very, in some ways, a very conventional rom-com, certainly like held up as one of the like very successful one of the 90s, mm-hmm. but I think is also weirder structurally than people sort of like think about. So cool. I think we'll have plenty to explore. It'll be fun to do these same two actors again. Yeah. Like we've kind of given ourselves a mini Tom Hanks miniseries within our Meg Ryan Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our mini, yeah. We're looking at an era. We're taking ourselves back. Mm-hmm. This is slow burn. 1990s rom-coms so that is (laughs) joe versus volcano and all its strange wondrous glory i know it is a fan favorite to many people so i hope we did it justice in capturing what works about it and what doesn't if you're one of those volcano heads out there (laughs) write it and let us know yeah Roll Calling is produced and recorded by us, Caroline Sita and Ned Baker. Our theme music was created by Patrick Buddy and our logo was designed by Nick Wanserski. You can follow us on Twitter at Roll Calling. And if you are a volcano head, you can email us at rollcalling at gmail.com. That's roll, R-O-L-E. Next week, we will be back with Sleepless in Seattle. Until then. May you live to be a thousand years old, sir. (laughs) 